Live. Live. Live from... This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his ankle! Follow me! Follow me to freedom! Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast, which is New York Sports Talk and Long Suffering Fan. Your host, Mike Phillips. Hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. Definitely a fun time of year now. The holiday season is here. Cyber Monday today. We're going to wait a little bit on the sports podcast week because I want to see what goes on with the CBA situation. We're going to talk about that at the end of the week. We'll do the NFL picks then, too. But I want to leave out a podcast for over a week. So we're going to give you a special pop culture bonus episode today. Touch on a couple of things that have come out the last few weeks and get you up to date on them. We'll start off in a minute with Dan D. Martini. We're going to talk about the first two episodes of the latest Marvel series on Disney Plus, Hawkeye. The first ever Marvel Christmas show. I mean, you can make the argument Iron Man 3 is a Christmas movie, but the Christmas show is going to be fun, so we'll talk about that in just a bit. We're also going to be joined by our pop culture correspondent, Sandra Rose, to talk about the Return of Tiger King Season 2. All five episodes are out on Netflix. We watched them all. We have some thoughts. We'll get to that in just a bit. Make sure you lock in the end of the show as well for my chat with Alan Austin about the tennis movie King Richard. Will Smith plays Richard Williams, the father of Venus and Serena Williams, a biopic look at how he raised the two Williams sisters to become tennis legends. All that's coming up in just a bit. We'll get it all started, though, with Dan and the Hawkeye right after this. All right, we are back here on the Just and the Suffering podcast, Cyber Monday pop culture special, breaking down the two-hour premiere of Hawkeye on Disney+. Plus. Episodes one and two are now available. Joining me today, this guy's a big Marvel fan. We talked about Falcon and the Winter Soldier him back in March. Dan DiMartini is here today. Dan, how are you? I'm doing great. We did Falcon and Winter Soldier, had some comments on WandaVision. Didn't do any Loki, but why not? Let's jump in on Hawkeye. Yeah, let's jump in on the Hawkeye and... I mean, I'm excited about this because of all of the OG Avengers, the main six, Hawkeye's the last one to get a solo project now. Black Widow got her film over the summer. I was not a big fan of that one. The Hawkeye uh, show, were you excited that we were getting this? Yeah, because, you know, obviously that I I do appreciate a little bit um, of, first off, I just, I love Jeremy Renner. It's just, he's just so entertaining. Um, his character is like, the the real human side of it it almost feels like of all the avengers he's the one that had to like deal with the aftermath um you know he's not a super soldier he's not gonna fly back to you know wherever asgard is at the time or you know it's like you know all these things um you know it's almost like hawkeye was the guy that was gonna just go back to being a regular dude and a dad and a family man and all this stuff after the phase one so you know, we are, I was excited about it. I'm also excited that they are bringing in some of these kind of younger actors, actresses as well, and introducing more characters. 
it's it's crazy how deep they're going right now, kind of into the roster. There's a lot of rumors out there about the collaboration of this Hawkeye series, what's coming up with Spider-Man and some of the characters that they're going to be bringing back from Netflix and things like that. So I'm excited because we're, you know, deep cut Marvel fans who have watched all these other series kind of as standalones. We're going to start getting some collaboration. And I think this series um, is a really good start for it. And um, I, I, I just, I appreciate, I know they're not going to just leave us hanging here. They're going to give us something that ties into this next phase of the whole cinematic universe as well. So even though it's kind of a cool, straightforward story so far, which we can dive into, I know what's coming. And I know, like, you know, you know, you're going to get something on the tail end of this that fits in with all these other stories that we've been getting so far. So, yeah, I was excited and I and I think it's great so far. Yeah, I also think this is the right spot to do the Hawkeye probably because we love Jeremy Renner. He's great, but like his character, I don't think he can carry a film on his own. I don't think he can be the lead and have that be a big box office draw. I think like putting him here as the star of like a limited series, you know, six episodes, I think that's a good spot to get to get Renner in here. Absolutely. And I think that what they did right off the bat is they established, you know, the repercussions or the after effect that Hawkeye is facing. You know, he's wearing a hearing aid. You know, they they dive, they like really dive into the physical toll that a non-superhero superhero um, has faced. And it's kind of cool. They're not saying that he's washed up or anything in this series, but they are definitely his wisdom, his abilities. He's he's somewhere between he's better than a human, but he's not a, a superhuman. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's kind of this cool and they show that in the scene that we can talk about with the LARPing. It's like, he's, this is ridiculous. You know, yeah. you've got these people out here. But anyway, um, it's just cool that he's in a position now to pass his wisdom onto somebody younger um, who's obviously had it. You know, Kate Bishop's character obviously is a huge, huge, huge portion of the comics, kind of the new Avengers and where we're going into these next few phases. So anything that she can get from him is from Clint is, is fantastic. So I, I think it's really cool, and I really appreciate. I don't know how you felt about this. I appreciate how quickly they didn't like do this long, drawn out like, you know, Hawkeye uh, is. You know, it's taking so long. They 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 immediately connected the two characters. It wasn't like, oh, this is just a kid. I'm not going to take her serious. Blah blah blah. Like he, they did a nice job of getting us to buy in on their relationship within the maybe 20 to 30 minutes of the first real episode. So we saw the connection. Um, he sees it on the news. He sees the, the Ronin outfit. Um, and there's this immediate uh, connection and, and trust and, and, you know, relationship that's formed. He gets to see her fight. Uh, she sees him fight and there's this immediate bond. So I'm glad they didn't draw out the, you know, this weird, you know, are they going to be friends? Are they going to work together? They just said, nope, we're doing this. And we've got however many episodes and um, we're going to jump right into the storyline and, and they're working together. So I like that. Yeah, let's put the spoiler warning up here in case you have not seen the first two episodes yet before we dive any deeper. Gotta do that. Okay, you've been warned. If you did not watch the first two episodes of Hawkeye yet, you do not want to be spoiled. Stop the podcast, go watch, then come back. You can listen to us talk about it. But I want to build something you said before about like the whole like, oh, like I'm more than a man, but I'm not really like a super soldier like Steve Rogers or a god like Thor. And like 
the whole thing about the sequence where it's like, oh, we're getting supplies. He's going to go get medical treatment, medical stuff like that, like out rubbing alcohol and like bacitracin, neosporin, yeah. and like that's sort of my like, we haven't really seen that in the MCU since like Daredevil on Netflix, where like we see like Daredevil get beat up pretty bad and he's like has these wounds that's bothering him for like episodes later. And this is not to the extreme that we had in Hawk there in Hawkeye. I mean, it's like a couple of surface level cuts, but it's nice to see them go back to the sort of street level approach to this. Yeah, it felt um, it was almost like they were hinting back to some of those Netflix series, um, you know, uh, when we were around Daredevil and some of the other the, the human the human side of it. Um, you maybe have some. There's this weird kind of mix of characters that are not alien life forms or gods or, like you said, super soldiers. It's it's kind of refreshing to get a little bit. They hinted a little bit with Sam in in you know Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but. This truly feels like a, you know, hands, you know, like hand to hand combat, some swordsmanship, bow and arrow. Like there's going to be some cool um, fight sequences that feel very like life and death rather than like, you know, Thor summoning, you know, lightning and thunder to, to you know, a, you shock somebody you know there's there's not going to be any of that in this series so it's it's kind of cool that we're back to more hand-to-hand combat yeah let's start out the top here we start out with the intro here it takes us back to battle of new york again which is again the most important thing in this universe and we see the real street level portion of it from kate bishop as a kid's point of view and it's always cool that they showed you what was going on from like just a random person's view we see the hawkeye like falling off the building from her perspective i thought that was a nice little way just you know, says on the moment, then use the opening credits, just give us the montage of her training without us having to watch it. Yeah, no, I think it's, I think that was a really cool sequence that, um, you know, we got brought back to 2012 and the, you know, the big fight, they've done that a few times now. A few of these series has really gone back to the repercussions of that, what it did to New York city and, um, the movies and the series. It's very, very cool. And it's awesome that she, you wonder if there are other characters that maybe Marvel will introduce. There've been characters in the comics um, that also just admire a superhero and want to then take on that role and work hard to do it. And they kept hitting home at how she was a black belt by 15 and she's won all these, you know, archery uh, competitions and judo fights and all this stuff. So it's kind of, it's very, um, it's, it was a cool way to introduce her character as truly just a little girl who was scared and in that moment saw a, saw a hero and said, I want to be that. So I was totally on board with that opening sequence. Yeah, I also like the fact that as we've seen in the advertising with all, with the choice of music in the show, that this is the Marvel Christmas show. Like we have literally, this is their take on a Christmas movie, whether it's like Die Hard or home alone sort of sort of hybrid like i like that we have the marvel christmas experience here yeah and it's great timing for it to come out too i thought that was kind of cool that it's you know basically you know not to get too far ahead but what we find out is truly this series seems like it will take the place over a a course of a week really is what we're getting because remember they talked from the the first episode the whole point is that clint's got to be home by christmas which they said is you know what five six days away so you know we know for the we kind of get that we're going to get the, this series, whatever they're going to lead us to, whatever villain is out there, whatever it is, we're going to be kind of following it in a, a pretty set period of time. So leading up to Christmas. So um, 
that's kind of the relationship between Clinton and his family and him being away and his kids really wanting him to be a dad. So we, we get the, the core of the show or the kind of the bigger picture, which is Clint is trying to pass these responsibilities on and be that family man um, and be there for his kids. Um, but at the same time, he still has a lot of fight left in him. So it's, it's kind of cool that they were just like telling us right up front that whatever he's doing in New York City, the plan is to get him home by Christmas and he's got X number of days to do it. So um, I like that we're really looking at a small window of time and one big issue in, in New York City. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. Also, it's pretty cool is that we were teased by the trailer about Rogers the Musical. And we mm. see the poster right there, like, oh, we're going to get this at some point. And then we have the uh, Hawkeye taking his kids to see Rogers the Musical. And this was so funny, so cheeseball. I love the fact that they sn- they snuck, I can I can do I could do this all day into the song. I thought it was so funny. I thought they gave us just the right amount of it. I feel like they had given us too much more. I thought it would have been gone way over the top with the cheese factor because it's spo- I think it's, spo- it's supposed to be banned in the universe, but to us, it's just funny. For those that haven't seen it that are still listening in on this, like, you know, uh, or those that have seen it, it's, it's like an over the top version of it's, uh, essentially they took like Hamilton and they made it the Avengers and you know, the Rogers show is, it is surprising to me that they like had Clint go and actually sit and want to sit through that with his kids. Yes. Um, and you know, I, I liked it because it's New York City. Broadway is back. People go to see a ton of shows during this, you know, that time of year. But man, was that cheesy. It was like really, really bad. And what was cool, though, was that they did have a couple of retro comic book costume versions of the Avengers. They did not all of them had their true like what we saw in the Avengers movies and Infinity War. But the, the Broadway show version, the Rogers musical used their throwback costumes as well. So I appreciated some of that, uh, some the subtle um, comic book references there too, but way cheesy, uh, but it fit within the show. Like that's what would potentially happen. And they make reference to how they save New York City. We also see it when Clint goes and has, you know, to the Chinese restaurant with his uh, family and they won't let him pick up the bill. You know, he is truly beloved um, by the people and thankful for him basically helping save the world multiple times. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, I thought it was cool. I looked this up and apparently like Marvel hired two like Broadway for like Broadway songwriters to write the Hawkeye musical. They hired Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman from who won a Tony and a Grammy for Hairspray. They wrote the musical stuff. So I thought it It felt real. Yeah, it felt real. Yeah, it did feel, it, you could tell that they got real people in there. I wonder if they told them, hey, make this bad, and just had them do it bad. I thought it was funny that, like, Hawkeye said at one point, he's like, hey, Ant-Man wasn't there, and they, they have Ant-Man in the, in the uh, Rise of the Musical show, and I think it was also fun that, like, they used that as a moment to give Clint some, like, Toronto ACs, the actress playing uh, Black Widow, pop up on the show. I thought that was a good way to sort of deal with some of the issues he's had going on in the last like, couple of movies. Hundred percent, and and he had to know going in that there was going to be references to her and to Steve and to Tony, you know. And um, there's, it was a, an interesting way for them to kind of introduce the start of the repercussions. And remember, his daughter then says, you know, hey, do you have your hearing aid turned on? Um, 
So, you know, it's all of that trauma that's built up. So they are trying to get us as the viewers, or at least I feel like they're trying to get us in a spot where we understand that Clint's time is kind of winding down and we, we do need to be introduced to this, you know, kind of newer character. So, um, but I think they did it in a really respectful way. And it's kind of cool because, you know, Thor just disappears. Steve Rogers disappears. Tony is gone. Obviously Black Widow is gone. And so you really, you have, um, you know, this, he is kind of the, the last face and he doesn't want to be the face, but he's recognized. People want selfies with them, even in the toilet. Uh, you know, they, they, he is kind of this, the last guy on the team that would want to do that, but he's the one that's most accessible. So he is truly felt like we are seeing what's left over put on his plate. So I, I, I liked all of it. I didn't have any issues with this, the first, you know, 30 so minutes of the series, truly with the introduction, the Rogers musical, and then the start of the storyline. Yeah. Before we move off of the musical thing, was there any other Marvel movies that you think could be fun as musicals? Mm, good question. Uh, well, obviously, you know, Marvel's really hit it out of the park. I mean, Agatha all along, um, obviously that whole sequence from WandaVision um, was, I think it would believe it was up for a Grammy or, or it won something, it won some sort of like creative writing. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. So that was up there, but if there was one movie um, of all of them, which one would make a great musical? Um, I guess Guardians of the Galaxy because yeah. the 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 music that that movie kind of starts and you know Peter Quill's you know headset and what he listens to and the songs of the '60s and '70s and '80s and um, I guess Guardians of the Galaxy would be a fun one. Um, you could have like a little animatronic rocket out there yeah. and Groot and um, so I think that that crew would make best as a Broadway musical. I think the Spider-Man, uh, the first Spider-Man movie would be a fun musical because then you have some fun stuff there. You could, yeah. you could, uh, it would also, it feels like you could do Spider-Man with like Cirque du Soleil or yeah. something. You could get like some crazy performers. Like I feel like Spider-Man would be a great theme Cirque du Soleil show. Yeah. You know, couldn't you see like somebody like climbing up one of yeah. those walls, like flying off yeah. the back and you know, so anyway, but, uh, from a purely musical standpoint, um, yeah, the first Guardians for me, but yeah, let's let's put let, now let's move on a little bit. Go into more of the Kate Bishop stuff because obviously we see her for pretty. She's the star of the first episode where we see her going along and she's going through her life and we see her Archer skills because she destroys a clock tower at her college and has to pay for it because gets away because her mom is rich and then we see like her sort of lifestyles. What do you think about the introduction of Kate Bishop into the MCU? Yeah, I mean, I I think that they cast her appropriately. Um, I think she fits the part. I think she's got the general tone. She is a delicate balance between like still acting like a little kid, but also having the skill set to be a, you know, a potential hero. Um, I, I think that they, they sell it accordingly. Right. So she can handle her own, but she's still a little bit overwhelmed. We saw it pretty quick there where she's got a lot of confidence. She um, trusts in her skills but she also makes some very critical mistakes uh, wearing that outfit, which we can get into. Um, 
trying to overly question every situation, the clock tower, obviously that was a big, that was like a classic kid move, but on a Marvel level, you know, you shoot an arrow and you take down a clock tower and a bell tower, so whatever it is. Um, they do a nice job. She's, she's not young enough where you're like, I don't believe that she can beat up a grown man. She's old enough to do that, but she's still immature enough where her life is a mess. It kind of feels like we're getting this early 20s version of a superhero when we were all in our early 20s and trying to figure things out. So, you know, she's still upset that her mom is potentially marrying a man that we don't know anything about. And she doesn't know anything about. But at the same time, you know, she's, you know, she's you know finding a puppy on the street and taking it home to a, you know, she has no food in her pantry other than old pizza. So it's like, you know, I, I, I kind of relate with that. I understand what they were doing with the character, and I think they did a nice job of her introduction. Yeah, she's a lot of fun. Haley Steinfeld had a lot of fun playing that character, you could tell. And I think they did a good job of playing into her because we know that at the other thing, she's going to be Hawkeye and Quincy is going to be retired or dead. So I think it will be good to sort of get us more familiar with her before she starts popping up in movies. Yeah, no, and 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 they will. I you can already tell they're gonna legitimate legitimize her abilities. Um, she's gonna have that breakthrough moment where she is going to either be, you know, either have to save Clint. Um, I, I could see her get her herself into a situation. Um, but a perfect example, and it's jumping ahead a little bit, but you know, she sees Clint's in trouble. She tries to save him and she completely botches it, you know, or, yeah. you know, that's a great, that's a great sequence where like, she's going to have to really learn what it means when Clint is like sitting there, like, this is a joke. I'm going to just take off my handcuffs. She's no, they're doing a nice job of showing that, yes, you have the skills, but until you have the experience like Hawkeye has, and that's what he is. I'm looking forward to episodes like three, four, so that we can kind of, see him mold her into a viable superhero yeah and we're talking about now uh, jack duquesne who is engaged to her mother after her father died back in the battle of new york and then she really doesn't trust him she follows him around he sees she meets his uncle at some sort of underground auction where they're getting they're bidding on items stolen from the avengers tower rec, avenger compound wreckage we find out eventually that he wants the ronin sword he ends up getting it later on after the tracksuit mafia breaks in and try and steal a watch and then that whole thing just before we get back to the tracksuit mafia all like jack duquesne is shady i don't know exactly what his angle is but he definitely is up to something yeah you know i don't want to for those that like didn't read the comics or didn't grow up with it you know obviously they are hinting at that they are going to introduce the swordsman character who was you know jack duquesne's character and you know what they're doing in this series and we'll touch on later with the final reveal they are introducing characters who have ulterior motives are they truly the big bad guy we're not sure yet these marvel series are doing a really nice job of tricking us into thinking that like jack duquesne is going to be the bad guy here i'm not so sure that that's the case we don't know who the big bad is going to be for this series or what's truly going on out there Right now that they really like left us hanging with that Ronin costume being put into a storage locker. But Jack's character is kind of interesting. He obviously is collecting swords. Remember how um, you early on Kate makes a comment to her mother saying like, what's going on with all these swords? And she's talking about all the, the swords that are around the apartment. And that's how Jack is introduced. He takes 
obviously the sword from the auction as well. You know, these are all, it's all hinting that he, and, and then obviously the big fight sequence with Kate where they decide to put on their fencing gear and you see that Jack's got some serious swordsmanship. So I am curious whether they're going to portray Jack's character as a truly bad guy or whether there's more to the story here. Um, and they, I don't think that it's just going to be so blatantly obvious. I mean, Kate Bishop's character from the, like, are they going to do that in the first episode? She's on to him like this. So you know that that's way too easy a storyline that he's the true bad guy. She's been at him from the first dinner. Something tells me that he's got a motive that seems selfish, but also might not be the ultimate bad guy. He end up might help it. He might end up helping her. I love the fact that we're dealing with swords and bow and arrows. So it's very cool. It's very old timey. And he's got a great mustache. So we don't know his deal yet. We don't know if he was truly the one that killed his father there that we saw. Um, But I'm just thinking that Marvel would, that would be too simple if he's the bad guy at, at the end of this. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see about that. I also want to touch on now the tracksuit mafia because they show up, they burst into the auction to try and steal this uh, watch or whatever. That's where you found that Kate decides to fight them. She throws on the rowing suit because her eyes says, hey, I can't let them see my daddy. Then the suit she grabs as he gets her in a lot of trouble. But I thought the tracksuit mafia were a lot of fun because they just look so ridiculous seeing a bunch of guys in tracksuits throwing Molotov cocktails in New York City apartments. And then just like they all are like, making fun of each other as they do these things. I thought they were just fun street level guys that like, it makes sense that like Clint's dealing with them and not like Thor showing up to deal with them. Do you remember like back in the daredevil series too? We've seen, we've seen, you know, the Eastern European Russian, whatever it is, this tracksuit mafia guys. Well, before we also saw them in the, I believe it was the, um, X-Men origins movies as well. I feel like Marvel goes back, um, quite a bit to the storyboard on having like their version of street thugs be like Eastern European guys with Molotov cocktails. Yeah. So um, it's just very, um, you know, it's just funny to me that they're the comic relief, obviously, because, you know, Clint is not really a funny character. They had a couple other funny moments, but I don't think they're counting on Kate Bishop's character to be funny, funny. So, but these guys are like, that sequence when they finally capture them or Clint basically lets them uh, is, is pretty interesting and pretty funny. Um, But yeah, once again, it's, it's good to have like street henchmen, but once again, I also don't think that they're the big bad and I don't think that their boss is the big bad either, but we'll see. Yeah. Let's see what the tracks him off. Anyway, the whole thing happens. They burn uh, Kate's apartment and, they, they, lose, they lose the suit in the process. They find out that some New York City firefighter who's member member of a LARPing club steals it and is suiting up there. And Hawkeye having to go live-action role-play to try and get the suit back was so funny. And you could tell, like, Rare had a fun job, like, basically saying, like, you know, this is dumb, but he kind of enjoys it at the end. I thought that was so much fun. Uh, arguably the, the most clever, enjoyable portion of the series to me in those first two episodes was this sequence other than her saving the dog. Cause anytime a dog is in danger, uh, when Kate saves lucky, uh, um, but this scene was, was hysterical. The fact that he didn't want to really have to go in, but they weren't going to let him, if he wanted to, he probably could have just started beating everybody up. But the fact that he decided to put it on his credit card and get the shield and that slow motion sequence, when he's just like block slice, 
takedown five, <laughs> like just making it like you're really making me fight civilians like this with a fake sword um, just to get to the end is pretty clever. Something tells me that that's not going to be the last time that we see um, the the gentleman that was the firefighter yeah. who gave the, uh, the costume back. Something tells me that we're going to see him again and he's going to be involved in, in helping Clint in certain ways. Um, but really fun to watch. And uh, obviously uh, giving a lot of good attention to live action role playing clubs. So good for them. Have you ever gone LARPing? No, yeah. no. I will say this. I will say this. When I moved where I live now, um, I saw I, I there's like a, a meetup thing that you can do online. And I did see there was an invitation uh, to go to a park that's about 25 minutes northwest of me. And there was a there's a club. It was like a Renaissance era yeah live action role playing it wasn't like witches wizards it was like renaissance times so like knights and swords and horses and all of that stuff and five percent of me thought about yeah this would be interesting to go see but then the other 95 was like there's gonna be some crazy people there so um i have never gone um if somebody took me to one would i do it yeah, I'd buy in. How fun would it be to go out there with a fake shield and sword and go whack at some people? Yeah. Like, why not? Yeah, I thought it was definitely funny. I loved how, like, at the end, like, Clint is like, says good guys, like, yo, I'll make, I'll make his day. I'll let him pretend to kill me, like, in the LARPing game. And then I thought, again, yeah, it's fun when at the end he gets the suit back where the deal makes, like, hey, you let me kill you out my moment, then you've got, I'll give you the suit after it's done. And he's like, you kind of like, I was like, yeah, it was kind of fun. Yeah, but he is also like, I can't believe I, you know, I fought Thanos and I'm losing to this, you know. Yeah. I thought that was pretty funny when he's like literally sitting there saying, I can't believe I'm going to let this guy kill me or or knock me out of the game when I've already fought against like a, you know, an alien super being. So it it was, it was very clever. It was a great way to get the the suit back. Obviously, he's going to be putting the Ronin suit back on. He's going to have to. There's no reason, like, why would they introduce it if he's not going to have to go back down that path? Yeah. Um, you know, or somebody's going to get their hands on it. I don't know who it is, but that was too big a, a piece of the first episode to not then eventually revisit. But for now, it's sitting in a locker in a train station. Yeah, it is. And the other big breakout character of this thing, I don't think he has bigger than thought he would be getting, but lucky the pizza dogs would be so much fun on this show. Great, cute dog, one eye, like melts your heart um loves pizza and um i i think that we could also see a sequence where lucky maybe makes a save or helps or or does something there's no way they don't introduce a wonderful hero dog like that and that dog doesn't come into play at some point maybe there's like a, a critical thing that is needed and lucky brings it to kate or brings it to uh clint and there's there's gonna be a tie-in again but what a cute dog yeah, cute dog. I will say, I also have to take the suspension of disbelief here because if I ever gave one of my dogs a full slice of pizza, they would be like vomiting up a storm in like five minutes. Yeah, that was a little strange that like, she's like, she has, she doesn't, okay, my thing is if you find a dog on the street like that, I think like I would have put down a bowl of water first, yeah. you know, like dog's probably dehydrated and yet you, all you do is throw a piece of like full slice of pizza, basically leave the box for the dog, like not as dog people like not what i would have done it's a tv show totally fine with it but like i would have been like 
bring this dog in, make sure the dog isn't hurt, check it for, you know, ticks or fleas or any sort of injuries, give it some water, maybe take it to the vet. I don't know, but it just seemed like, oh, the dog's fine. It's going to stay here. It's never been here before. I'm just going to leave it with pizza and walk out and turn the lights off. She also turned the lights off yeah. before she left. Like the dog only has one eye and it's never been here. Leave the light on. Kate. <laughs> like, well, again, this is also a 22-year-old in New York City who just finds a dog and says, what am I going to do with it? She, is like, she just says, though, has no impulse on what to do next with the dog. All right. And then the next thing you know, you know, the dog is in, the, in a fire. The, the, the apartment's on fire. So yeah. we can get to that now, too. Yeah. Was, we talked about it a little bit earlier where her apartment's on, like, it's lit on fire by the uh, tracksuit mafia. She ends up having to go undercover for a little bit. We, see, we have the whole sequence you mentioned before where she goes to dinner with Jack and her mom and she basically accuses Jack of lying, figures out he's a tell. Mom doesn't believe it yet. She goes off her own way and then we see Hawkeye basically realize, you know what, like, I'm going to do the Black Widow thing. I'm going to get myself caught intentionally so I can figure out who's leading the tracksuit mafia and he almost pulls it off until uh, uh, Kate ruins it by popping in and incorrectly attempting a rescue. Yeah, and, you know, it just goes to show you that, like, that, once again, is classic for you know and, and what we're gonna get now in this next episode with the introduction of the who's leading the tracksuit mafia um it, it's a very um a very like teachable moment so i'm curious to see how he addresses it going forward but um yeah once again if uh cool action sequences cool fights and then the introduction of now what we think once again they're very good at making us think in these series that one person is good or one person is helpful and then the final reveal like the agatha all alongs and what we saw in you know with obviously u.s agent in um yeah, uh, falcon and the winter soldier um you know everybody yes they are villains but you also then get to see what's going on on their side so are they truly a vision or, or a villain or do they just have some sort of internal or personal conflict that's making them act in a certain way. So we, we've got some other, um, I'm not buying who the bad guy is yet until like we for certain know who the bad guy is. So, yeah, we find out the end, the tracksuit mafia are working for echo, who is a deaf MCU like superhero. We know she's getting her own Disney plus show down the line. They announced that on Disney plus day back on this on uh, November 12th. And what do you think about her showing up for the first time? Yeah, so that's kind of leading right into it. You know, hopefully people that are listening to this turned it off if they didn't know kind of about Echo. Um, it was a cool introduction. Obviously, you know, you got to see her. She was feeling the vibration off yeah. the wall to know um, that they were kind of and, and the way that the the goon from the tracksuit mafia was like mouthing the words to yeah. her. Yeah. Um, you know, she's trying to read lips. But her character obviously um, is a really, really cool character, becomes part of the, you know, kind of new Avengers sequence as well. And, and is, we'll be getting their own show along with Moon Knight and a few other characters that are all, you know, everybody's talking about it on like kind of the forums, you know, Marvel's really hitting home on the, the humans with extra abilities, but not superhuman abilities. You know what I mean? Like, they're 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 not like the Eternals or anything else like that. They're truly just special humans, and Echo kind of fits that mold as well. So, how Echo's character is going to tie in with what Jack is up to with the Ronin costume? With uh, I'm curious what this is all leading towards. We don't really know yet, and that's what makes it fun. But 
Um, these shows are really good at kind of taking you baby steps on introducing characters that will all have a role in the ultimate finish of the series. I'm bought in on this one. It took me a while to buy in on a couple of the other ones. WandaVision took a little while. Everybody was like, what's going on here? This and that. But like, I think this is a, a cool story from the start. Great acting, um, great fight sequences. Um, I'm excited to see some more of like little Easter eggs pop up. I don't know if you did the same thing, but when um, Kate and Clint go to Kate's aunt's house, when she's looking on the list to buzz in at New York City, how there's like an apartment, it usually yeah. says the name and the apartment number, whatever. I tried to pause it right at that moment so I could see if there was any like Easter egg names on the list that she was going to buzz in. And I couldn't really find anything. I bet they're all either writing staff or producers or something. But I'm like, man, what if they had put in like, you know, um, like Jim Loki or like, you know, so like try to sneak in like a, a, a name here or there. So Anyway, I'm just I'm watching these shows now, seeing if there are little kind of super fan Easter eggs, things like that. Um, but, you know, for the most part, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I am, too. I'm excited to see what happens the rest of the series. Obviously, you got the Echo angle you're going to be watching here. You have the whole thing with Jack Duquesne, the track to the mafia. We also know that Florence Pugh is showing up, showing up in this show as Yelena. And we know that she got sent in the post credit scene from Black Widow that she's out to try and kill Clint because she thinks that he's responsible for Natasha's death and I'm curious how they're going to make all that juggle. We only have four hours left of this show so I'm curious to see like what they do to make the balancing act work. Is it going to be a like we won't see her till the last sequence of the you know that prior to the final hour and then there's going to be some sort of a you know big sequence here in the, in the final episode I don't know but you're right um Marvel has a really difficult, and Kevin Feige has a very different, difficult task, but also a fun task. They've got a hundred characters from different universes, from the past, what's going to happen in Spider-Man. Um, with this show, they, they can introduce or reintroduce or not introduce any one of these storylines. So if you're sitting out here and you've loved kind of watching these sequences and, and, and read the comics or watched the animated shows or whatever it is, like you, I'm just happy that we're getting it. So I don't care what direction they go with what character, what motive. A lot of these characters have like deep motives where they could go good. Some of them go bad. Some of them go bad and then come back and be good again. Like they can do whatever they really want. So we're kind of sitting here helpless to see, like, we just got to tune in each week and see what they give us. Yeah, for sure. I also feel like one of the things I want to touch on before, they, before we go here, I feel like that now we're starting to get a hint. I think that they're dancing around potentially bringing some of these characters in the Netflix shows. And you know, from the, if you're familiar with the comics, you know that Echo is the adopted daughter of Wilson Fisk, who is played on the Netflix show by Vincent D'Onofrio. So I and I know D'Onofrio has tweeted about this show, so it makes you warm. Maybe he's going to sneak in here somewhere and be a surprise cameo. That'd be fun. So, so it's, it goes right back to what I kind of, when we started talking about, like there were so many parallels about the way these fight sequences were done and the way this show was shot that feels like Daredevil. Um, and, you know, obviously Wilson Fisk's character with Matt Murdock and, you know, Charlie Cox playing that character and them talking about him being reintroduced at some point as well. It just 
feels like we're getting down to maybe a, a Fisk scenario here. It's New York City. Um, we're, you know, we're not in a, you know, the crime syndicate, really, the bad people in the city that would be stealing this kind of stuff, trying to make money off of it. He was the kingpin for a reason, and he um, kind of ran the city. Now, he went up against a variety of important, you know, Marvel superheroes, uh, in, and he kind of fought his way through it. The last time we saw him, he was still alive. He was just in jail. Uh, but that really doesn't stop him from uh, working behind the scenes. So it would be really cool if it was Kingpin, right? Like I'd be down for that too, to have like a little bit of crossover that introduces some of these other characters back in. But there are a lot of Marvel quote unquote superheroes in New York City at, you know, and still viable if that's what they decide to do and it's Kingpin. So we could be seeing Kate Bishop working with a variety of other uh, cool characters so I really hope it is him and I hope they leave us with an awesome teaser that like, you know, she's in good hands because now she's working with, you know, X, Y, and Z. So I don't want to spoil anything. I don't want to jump the gun, but if it's Kingpin, then you automatically know some of the other characters that are going to interact with her. Yeah, I'll throw out there because I mean, we had the rumors already that they've been flying around social media for months now that Charlie Cox is going to be introduced as Matt Murdock in, Spider in the new Spider-Man movie. Bro, there's, there's reportedly leaked screenshots that show him like consulting as Peter Parker's lawyer in one in one scene. And again, the type back to the comics where Echo is sort of running the tracksuit mafia and she is Kingpin's adopted daughter. Then you're basically one level separation from Kingpin running the tracksuit mafia, which would make a lot of sense. So it's it's going to be really really curious to see if they are timing this Netflix series out to then also incorporate some teasers from Spider-Man as well. Uh, you know, the timing has to make a lot of sense, right? You yeah. know, because when does Spider-Man actually come out? It's December what? December December 17th. Okay, so I mean, we're probably going to be, we're, we're going to be on episode what by then? Five. Five, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it's going to be pretty close. So if there is some sort of a teaser or a tie-in, it would be crazy to if they ever did that. They've never really done that where they've released the series and the movie. I mean, so close that it's almost like you got to be watching the Netflix to get what's going to go on with this teaser in the movie or the movie into the Netflix show. So there's always been a bit of a gap, but how cool would that be? That would be very cool. I mean, the close I could think of is like Aids of Shield season one, where they waited to pull a big twist after Captain America Winter Soldier, where Shield falls apart and then that's changed the trajectory of the show. I think. They haven't done that in a while. I think it would be cool to see if like Spider-Man directly has repercussions with this. Yeah, who knows? Even even if it's the slightest tease in Spider-Man, um, like you know, somebody from their dimension comes in and is just like, "Where's Kingpin?" and like, "Who's Kingpin?" Like, or just or anything that's along those lines um, would be really really cool. So anyway, lots of things to watch, and I, it's exciting because you know. As much as we've been getting these, you know, Disney Plus series, it feels like it's been a long and, and obviously Black Widow wasn't that great a movie. Um, it just feels like it's been a long time now. And it kind of feels like there's other than Spider-Man, the rest of the movies that are out there, like of the characters we know and love, like I want to get excited about a lot of it again. And I feel like hopefully this show and and you know obviously what's going to happen with spider-man i hope that really ramps us back up so i don't know this next phase is pretty critical because they 
you know, they got to keep people interested and they got to keep pumping out movies that are popular. So they, and you know, they have a lot of challenging situations, either with characters that are no longer alive, uh, actors that are no longer looking to portray their characters. Um, you know, they've got to go through the Black Panther 2 situation. So that we're going to, uh, it's, 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 it's got to be fascinating, right? To sit behind the scenes and at Marvel Studios and see like their whiteboard of like, how is phase two, phase three, phase four going to look? It's, it can't be easy. So um, it sounds like they have a plan and we just got to sit back and try to enjoy it. Yeah, for sure. Dan, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, if you follow, follow you on Twitter, keep up some of the stuff you're tweeting about. Sure. DMART207. Um, I am uh, going to be tweeting a little bit more. I know we, we spoke recently about Hard Knocks. Episode two is obviously much better for me. I, I really enjoyed it, especially knowing that the Colts beat the Bills. Uh, didn't do great on my picks, uh, only getting one, but I'm going to kind of cause it. I'm going to say I kind of broke even because nobody knew Lamar Jackson wasn't going to play yeah. until literally the night before. So I would not have picked the Ravens game if we knew Lamar Jackson was going to be sick. So, uh, but then again, I guess that's how it goes. So other than that, um, yeah, hopefully we, uh, we're at the sweet spot of the NFL season. Um, I'm a little nervous about John Morant's knee. So other than that, I'm usually talking about Grizzlies and Colts on Twitter. So. Yeah, for sure. You did beat me the head to heads. That's also a big, uh, uh, cheddar your cap on this week. And I will also say before we got to go also, did you watch Tiger King season two? Oh, I didn't get to it yet. I've been, I hate to say this, but my Netflix situation right now, I am watching 60 days in. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen that show. Um, it is, if you're even remotely curious of what it's like to truly be in a jail, um, you know, it, just to see what the, you know, corrections officers face, they put civilians, police officers that are undercover undercover corrections officers, uh, you know, military personnel into the jails and basically have cameras kind of all around. And they go in with the mission to try to find contraband and figure out, you know, where the, where the jail is breaking down. It is. And it's so real and it's so fascinating to watch. So I can't, there's like a million episodes to watch. So I can't stop watching that right now. And I have not gotten into Tiger King, but have you been watching it? I did watch all five episodes. I will say it's not a must watch, but if you want to know what happened, you can check out our next segment of the podcast. We're joined by our pop culture correspondent, Sandra. We're going to break down all five episodes right after this. When you think you've seen it all, you haven't quite seen it all. You have a prepaid call from Jill Exotic. There's an innocent man in prison. Everybody's from the zoo. It's not they're making money. I'm paying the price for every one of them people. Everybody. Tiger King changed our lives overnight. Loves a winner. We have more money than God right now. So nobody loves me. Lady peaceful. What happened to Don Lewis? Carol knows something. He was dealing with some shady characters down in Costa Rica. Don liked to play with dangerous I'll kill you for that. All the odds are Definitely attempts start two peas in a pot when it comes to batshit crazy. Tim's so paranoid, he had booby traps and security cameras. Nobody's gonna take my animals. It's that simple. What's the nature of the dispute between you and Mr. Love? 
Adios, Joe. Very personal. Get back, you bitch! We've got varying versions of what happened. In order for there to be justice, there has to be truth. We want some answers. Joe didn't hurt anybody. That's my opinion. I'm Eastern European bitch, so I cannot be wrong. The plot to kill Carol is built on lies. These people are going down. You think this was Waco? Come get me, motherfuckers. We gotta All right, we are back here on the Cyber Monday Pop Culture Special talking Tiger King Season 2 on Netflix and might be probably, I will be honest, the worst of the three projects that we're covering in this thing, but somebody's here to talk about it and joining me is our pop culture correspondent, Sam DeRosa. Sam, how are you? I am great. How are you? Even though that was a, that was a great lead in. <laughs> I'm not going to undersell people. It was bad. <laughs> Yeah, it was, but, you know, hopefully I can pick this up. Yeah, because, I mean, we got to talk about this. Last year, everybody's favorite uh, pan, like early pandemic Netflix binge, Tiger King, mm-hmm. massive hit. We knew there was a second one coming. We got five more episodes out on Netflix season two. And my question to you, first off, is this. Did we need it? Did we need Tiger King part two? <laughs> I mean, simply put, no, absolutely not. Like, it should have stayed in the pandemic. I know that there's been multiple critics saying the same thing as I just said. Um, But I guess, like, you know, if you think you're going to make money off of something, you're going to try your hardest to get that money. Yeah, they certainly are going to try. I mean, we got stories about this. And the reason why I decided to do is because even before this show came out, Carol Baskin sued Netflix with her husband, their husband Harold, like Howard, because they claim that they were not given like the rights to use their image in the sequel, and we see that there's no fresh interviews with Carol Baskin in this thing, and instead mm-hmm. it's basically stuff that's ripped from her Facebook streams, old footage they had of her and Howard talking to the cameras, and it just goes to show you. I mean, like when you had nothing from her, and when you had. The only new footage that Joe Exotic got was like that really weird, like grainy prison shot where it's like he's on the like phone. Where his nose, it's, like his nose you, is like yeah. not even in the shot. Like you, yeah, you can't even see his face in the shot. You see the nose and you see his hair a little bit. It's like a little like a box surrounded by whatever, and they didn't even blow it up properly. Like that just looks so bad. It it was weird. Um, that whole thing with this, like you know, Carol Baskin suing. It's like. You put that out there for people to see, like, I there's some there's some way that you kind of like, you know, forfeit any kind of privacy towards yeah. your videos. Yeah. Like how things were so explicit too, and you watch the documentary. Yeah, it's like, what do you expect? They're gonna definitely use that. Oh, for sure. And I think to me, there are five episodes. I think you and I all both agree they had enough content. For maybe three. If that, if that, because. The premiere, I broke down to three chunks, really. There's the Joe Exotic tries to get pardoned episode. Two more episodes of Where the Hell is Don Lewis? 
Mm-hmm. And then two more episodes sort of follow up on Jeff and Lauren Lowe and the murder for hire plot. They, they, they basically took one episode extra for each of the second two storylines. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, watching it, it was like so cringeworthy. And I was like, where the heck are they going to go with this? And I don't know. It was it was an interesting plot line, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Right, let's start off with the Joe Exotic pardon storyline, because, I mean, we see that was the first episode Sort of catch up, like, oh, all the people here are making money. I'm not. And then we have a bunch of stuff about his lawyers trying to get him out. I think the one thing to take out of this one that was hysterical was the fact that Joe Exotic's lawyers were in D.C. on January 6th during the uh, Trump rally. And then they're getting yes. screened at by uh, Trump by uh, Trump uh, Republicans saying, like, you you have no business being here. You don't care about Joe Exotic. You don't care about the country. And, like. You're not going to win fans in this room with the free Joe Exotic banner. They left before the riot. <laughs> yeah, I was just, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I was very surprised that like they didn't have more of like a positive like response to them being there. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It was like, I felt like Joe Exotic and like, you know, the whole Donald Trump thing could like go hand in hand. Yeah. Like, I know he kept like pushing it and deflecting like pardoning Joe Exotic, but it was just I don't know. I, it was kind of funny. I thought it like in the cars, they were like half the episode felt like they were wrapping planes, wrapping cars, like, you know, with his face yeah. on it. And I'm like, what the heck is this show? It, 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 it was sitting there watching. I'm like, couldn't understand what the hell was happening there. And exactly. I see the, the uh, footage there when they see the cryons is January 6, 2021. And there's, Hopping on the plane, we see them in the like in the field when the row is going on. I just sit there. I'm just sitting there thinking, "Oh my god!" I'm like, "Whatever the hell am I watching?" Exactly. Yeah. I it, it was just like it just it was so chaotic, but not in a good way. Oh, it was so bad. And then <laughs> we had that happen. We put a pin in that storyline for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Then we get to and by the way, folks, if you did not want to be spoiled on Tiger King Part Two, I'm sorry, but I'll say at the top of the show, I'll say it again. If you really want to sit down and watch all five of these episodes, feel free to go on Netflix and binge it and come back about four hours and watch listen to this podcast. But we're saving you a lot of time here by doing the work for you. Uh, yeah, we're saving you a lot of time. I personally wish I could get this time back, but anything for you, Mike. <laughs> yeah, I definitely appreciate that. And then we <laughs> we get to the second big thing here, which was the Don Lewis stuff, which again, we, we came and saw the big thing was did Carol Baskin murder her husband and did she feed him to the tigers? Like that was a big runaway theory from season one. That's where all the TikToks came from and all the memes. Mm-hmm. And now we basically get this theory that now that Don Lewis might be alive in Costa Rica. <laughs> he's definitely not. He's definitely dead. He definitely was in with some gangster stuff, like some, like, you know, mob, whatever. And I'm just like, uh, yeah, she probably didn't kill him, but she definitely knows she, he's dead. Yeah, so you are not firmly off the Carol Baskin kill her husband train. You're now back. On, you're on the mob kill them somehow. Yeah, I mean, like they were like so. They're like you know, like the guys from like what it was like the Dominican or whatever. Yeah. What like wherever they were from, they were like, yeah, he was like in it deep. Like he did some questionable stuff. Like they're like if we would, I, one of the guys was like. I would I know I would know where he is because that's how much money he has, but I haven't heard from him. Like, you know what I mean? Like one of his like henchmen. Yeah. And I'm like, what? Like yeah. the whole time I'm like, what? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, first we heard this whole thing about how he was basically slashing money all across the world and, like, all these offshore bank accounts because he's trying to hide his assets in Carol Baskin. And then we heard about how, like, apparently he's, like, trying to, like, pick up young women in Costa Rica. And, like, you're like, this dude sounds, like, awful. Yeah, he sounds like a shitty person. And then his (laughs) daughters are like, we know my dad dabbled in, like, fuzzy lines. I'm like, those aren't fuzzy lines, guys. Like, that's a pretty, like, cut and dry of what's good and what's bad. Okay, let me get, go here now to this storyline. Like, what actually was the weirder part of this thing? The point where the lawyer had them film the commercial that like, went on after Carol Baskin's first dance on Dance of the Stars. They basically asked for information about her involvement in, in Don's death. Or when they brought the psychic out to the land, and the psychic claimed that Don was murdered there, which was worse. <laughs> um, the, I'm gonna say bringing the psychic to the land <laughs> for the fact that he just was like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw up. Yeah. I'm gonna be sick." And I'm like, they spent like two full minutes on that, yeah. and I'm like, "What?" Again, that's today's like reoccurring, you know, plot line. As what is this like whole thing going on? Yeah, that was a very, very, very strange sequence of events, that whole uh, situation. By the way, we'll yeah. get to him later. That lawyer is something else. That, I I have no words for that lawyer. Yeah. Yeah, and I know he shares the same last name as me, but, like, no relation to that guy. Yeah. Um, well, what bothered me the most and is the fact that he had a Captain American shield in his yeah. office. It's like, you don't deserve that. You should take that off your wall. Yeah. I hope Marvel gets upset that he has that. Yeah, for me, that guy was literally just <laughs> literally everybody saying, everybody making money off of this thing. That guy, number one, makes so much money off of this thing. Just sticking his nose in where it's Don Lewis. Later on, he becomes Joe Exotic's lawyer, trying to get him out of jail. I mean, like, he's everywhere just trying to make a buck. Heck yeah. He was, I know we're going to get into this later, but he's not the best. Oh, he's not. Then we get to our last two episodes, and folks, we are about nine minutes in here. We're almost through the entire season of, of uh, Tiger King Tour, right? It tells you how little they had. Yeah. So we get the last episode basically about Jeff and, and Lauren Lowe, about all the shady stuff they've been up to, and one of the most ridiculous things, and I don't, I guarantee you this is on the cutting room floor of season one. They just had no room for it, and then they said, oh, you know, we need something to fill the time. We're going to throw it in season two. Code 69, which apparently at the park means that, like, Jeff and Lauren basically had people looking out for young, attractive women to bring with, like, to, with them to have threesomes with them, like, sitting there mm-hmm. watching this. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, what are we doing here? I was just like, okay, so we, we have, like, the whole, like, you know, the whole murder thing. Like, who killed him? Like, all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, it's like, yeah, so um, we have this code about hot, like, women in the zoo in wherever the hell they are in the Midwest. And then it's just like, you have like Jeff Lowe and his wife, Lauren. And then you have this random ass woman. I'm just like, again, what? Yeah. Like, where the hell did this come from? And to make it weirder, I mean, like the camera crew was there. So they clearly gave them permission to film that encounter with the random woman they were with. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, I get it. Whatever. Like, you know wear what you want, like be who you are. Like yeah. I'm all about that. But like, just, you know, like the whole filming thing where yeah. Jeff Lowe's sitting in the chair yeah. and she's just sitting in lingerie. And I'm just like, what? Like, are you promoting something else besides 
Tiger King right now? Yeah. Like, what what is this like meaning? Yeah, that one was like very very messy. It was so, and it it was like it was in there for like what five minutes, six minutes, and they kept going back to Top. it. Yeah, and then it's just like it just kept like disappearing, yeah. and I'm like, it just had nothing to do with the plot whatsoever. It was like this weird little like subplot. It had no reason to be in there. Yeah, so anyway, the whole thing with the Jeff and Lauren Rose, they basically find out that they, basically, we learned at the end of the first season that basically they got screwed and that Carol Bassin got the got the uh, zoo back from them and all the cats are gone. So they basically now, the claim that they made here is that they set Joe Exotic up to take the fall for whatever they can get the zoo out from under him. And they basically get arrested for drunk driving. They decide, you know, we're, we're tired of getting screwed by the government, so we're going to flip to the lawyer, which brings our buddy John Phillips back in, where he gets them to sign affidavits where they claim that they set Joe Exotic up to take the fall here. So you surprised by that at all? Um, No, just because, like, I feel like he's an easy target. Like, yep. sorry, Joe. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, he just puts himself out there to be a target. And they're like, perfect. Like, nobody likes him. Not a single person wants to be on his team. But, like, what's his face? Like, the hitman? Yeah. Like, you know, there's something a little off about that man. Like, he's not fully there. And I'm like, I feel like they were just taking advantage of that hitman. Yeah. Yeah, get to Alan Glover now, too. Because the Alan Glover has a very interesting theory. It's very different from theirs, where Mm -hmm. he claims that the money he got paid was not to kill Carol Baskin or Frank Joe for to kill Joe exotic. And the whole thing we get is that basically he claims that he was supposed to have a barbed wire across a path of road that Joe exotic comes along driving on his, uh, what do you call it? His, on his ATV. Four-wheeler or whatever. Yeah, like. a, he comes driving on his ATV. He gets runs through, gets decapitated. And I'm like, it's, and then they, at the stage, this whole thing where they claim to find the barbed wire on the property. And like, I was just gonna say that, like, how ridiculous was that whole thing? Like, I found it. Yeah. I found the wire. Yeah. And you're like, what? Yeah. Like, like I said, I'm gonna keep coming back to the whole <laughs> what? Yeah, I think this might be a more appropriate sound drop for this. I think that's like the best use of that for anything that you and I have done. Yeah. Yeah. Like that is like nails it right on the head. Yeah, and he has this theory. Basically, he's saying that. He was being paid to kill uh, Joe Exotic, and Joe Exotic is like, oh, this is interesting. Well, Jeff and Lauren Lowe are calling a liar, so whose side do you take on this one? Do you believe Jeff and Lauren, or do you believe Alan Glover? I honestly believe that every single person that has met Joe Exotic or has worked with Joe Exotic has been like, we should kill this guy because he's so annoying, as we all know. So, like, I feel like there's probably some truth to it, but, like, they're just trying to, like get everybody they can on their own side so they know that like if they save Joe Exotic from jail he'll be on their side and then they can all like fight against the bigger power to keep their big cats it's like a weird thing that I don't believe anybody's ever going to tell the truth not a single time they're on ever yeah I think it'll be fascinating to see how that plays out in terms of I think that's something we're going to be keeping a pin in the future here but I also think this show knows that Joe Exotic is moneymaker. So they did a lot of work to try and make him seem like a redeemable guy, whether it was the footage of, I just something they mentioned the first season was like the story about his first husband, how he passed away in his arms. We see mm-hmm. at the end, he gives us his model about how like, Oh, I'm in the cage. Like my tigers were, and I feel bad. I'm going to be a changed man going out of prison. And like all that, like you don't actually buy that. Do you No, They're all, 
you know, they're all liars, yeah. every single one of them. Yeah. And I'm not even trying to be mean about it. And I'm sure they agree. They're all like, they're all showmen. Yeah. They're all trying to make a buck. Exactly. I mean, Joe Exotic starts the show like they're all making their millions and I'm in prison. So like he's just trying to make his yeah. millions and get himself a Disney movie when he gets out of there. Yeah, especially because like, you know, everything just like aligns with like the lows. Like they're just doing this to like help them get out of, you know, trouble. Yeah. And I bet you I bet you they're going to like partner with Carol Baskin in the future. I don't yeah. know how, but that's my guess. Yeah, and we didn't get uh, and we didn't get many of the other like ancillary characters we got from season one. I mean, we didn't get Doc Antle back. We didn't get uh, the director Kirk like uh, I forget what the guy, the old guy who was the supposed to be the documentarian on that project. Yeah. Like, he was not there. Like we got a very narrow scope. I'm sure like a lot of people just like sure I'll take my check, but like we didn't get many of these other guys. Yeah, I feel like maybe that they didn't want to be a part of it anymore yeah. or yeah. something. Because, you know, like when you see yourself in light and how the public perceives you, you might not even want to even be part of this yeah. program anymore. Yeah. And I think they are trying in the worst possible way to get themselves a season three. Because we got a significant detour in episodes four and five about this mm -hmm. other lunatic, Tim Stark. Who like? Oh my god! He is like fifty times worse than anybody in the first season. Where basically like he is like this swearing like drunk guy oh, who like yeah who apparently killed a bunch of animals by leaving a trailer overnight. But went that mm -hmm. booty call and like they're trying to make us think, oh look at this crazy guy. You gotta cover him. I'm like, no, we don't. I don't care about yeah. this guy. Exactly, because yeah. like I you know off camera you know like off this podcast right now, me and you were talking. And, you know, I didn't even think that there was going to be a season three until, like, I don't know, the last 30 minutes of the episode five. Yeah. I'm just like, what? And that whole Tim Stark thing, he always have, has a poor monkey on him 24-7, yeah. even in the first season, too. Yeah. And I'm like, this poor monkey needs some sort of redemption story. Yeah, and I mean, I'm trying to go right now and check on where it is on the list because I'm going to go mm -hmm. to my Netflix account here and just take a look at the top 10, see where it is right now. I saw I saw it was on three probably like an hour ago. It was behind Red Notice and Cowboy, that Cowboy thing. That's, cor that's correct. It is currently number three on day of recording in the top 10. So <laughs> behind Red Nose. And I mean, it's been there. I'll see how long it stays there. I mean, Squid Game stayed there for a while. And it's mm -hmm. still at the top. I think it was at 10 last I looked at. It. I don't know if it still fell out or whatnot, but yeah, I think they are going to try and shove a Tiger King 3 down our throats as soon as there's a, any sign of Joe Exotic update that they can actually get him on a camera for. Yeah, I mean, the only the only way they're going to get a story is if he's out of jail. Yeah. Only way they're going to get a season 3. So maybe we won't get a season 3 for a couple years. Yeah, I don't know what's uh, maybe they'll give us a three episode update again in in next year. Yeah. I feel like I try that just to try and get something out because this yeah. is sort of what what happened. I think with making a murder, where making a murder came out on Netflix. They've been doing it for years. The filming it, it comes out as a massive sensation. People say we want more. And mm -hmm. They came out of the season two and there was nothing up there. They're both still in prison. Like here, yeah, we got nothing new because Joe's still in prison. Carol Bassett didn't want to talk to them. A lot of the other players didn't really talk to them. And yeah. you got nothing. It's like, also, there's nothing to talk about, I feel like, too. Yeah. Like, you know, there's going to be, you know, the cats got taken away and stuff. Like, you know, at the end, it was so sad. They're like, this is the first time this these cats have ever, like, run around. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, that's depressing. Because 
all in all, this is just a depressing documentary about animal cruelty. Yeah, and the tiger is still the biggest loser by far. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Before we get to the season, like before we get to the end of this thing, we have to have a draft here. I think three rounds, the worst people in this show in season two. So, well, you should go first because I sure we, I'm sure we both have the same number one. Yeah, well, I think we both agree. I'm gonna agree here. Tim Stark is a little human trash, straight Literally trash. The worst person ever. It's like the whole thing. I was so cringeworthy. I was, it was like nervous watching him on this show. Yeah, it's crazy. He is a psychopath. So we'll take him off the board. Who would you take next? So for draft number pick two, or now we're going back to one. That your first one, then so. Okay, so then I mean, <laughs> I'm gonna go with because I know you're probably gonna pick them, so I'm gonna go to a different one. But I'm moving back to James Garretson. Oh God. <laughs> like I mean, the speedboat thing has me laughing in stitches <laughs> chronically. But like this guy's like playing two different sides. Like he's just you know he's just a literal piece of trash. He's like so horrible. And then you see him at that like weird like parish house or yeah, whatever it's yeah. called. Like I can't remember the name of it. But I'm like, this guy's disgusting. He's like literally a gross piece of human trash. Yeah. And you mentioned it. That shot of him riding the jet ski, like in the water. They keep going back to it over and over again. He looks like such a tool on that jet ski. He does. And he's just like constantly changing his story about who he supports and who he doesn't. It's just like we get it. You're just trying to be friends with everybody. It's so annoying. Yeah. I think for this, my second pick, I'm going to go to Joe Exotic's lawyer, uh, John Phillips, because that yes. guy is literally just money hungry. I want my 10 minutes in the spotlight. You heard that you heard Don Lewis's daughters were trying to find what's happening. Dad's like, yeah, we don't think he actually wants to find out. He just wants to, he wants to get himself in the spotlight. So when the daughters yeah. could see you're basically full of shit, like that's, that tells you all you need to know. That exactly. And then, you know, that weird clip with him being on like the prices right and stuff did yeah. not sit well with me. Yeah. And it, it, he's just a really like villainous dude. Yeah. Okay. So we got three more picks. You have two more. I have one. So are you going to your okay. next person? All right. So I'm sorry to take it away from you, but Jeff Lowe. Yeah. Cause he's literally like driving while intoxicated and like mistreating animals and being just like literal scum. He's just like, how do you like? I don't know how he's not dead yet, to be honest. Yeah, I don't know. Did somebody not kill him? Yeah, I just don't get it. I don't either. Yeah, I'm gonna throw one out there. I think his edit took a big dip in season two. Don Lewis. I mean, we felt so bad for in season one. Like, oh, he may got fed the tigers. Now we find out that basically he's trying to hook up with younger women in Costa Rica. He's laundering money. He's up to all sorts of shady shenanigans. And yeah, it's like, like Don Lewis did not have a good season. No, he didn't. <laughs> Cause like, I kind of feel bad for his daughters. Yeah. Cause they're like, it's my dad. And we're like, your dad was trash. Yeah. Straight trash. Yeah, absolutely. And one more. You okay. Got, you got so one. I'm going to, I have somebody in mind, but I'm going to skip them. I'm going to go to Dylan. Yeah. Because Dylan has, like, sold his, like, fame with being Joe Exotics. I thought they were, like, married. They were. not. They were. Yeah. So he sold that entire thing. And now he's, like, being a, um, an influencer. Like, that's just gross <laughs> to me. Like, that all of their entire, his entire storyline was, like, bullshit. Yeah. It's, it's straight 
crap. That was part of the Joe Exotic uh, redemption tour. He's like, oh, you know, I feel bad because, like, if Dylan was in jail, I'd be going, doing everything I can to get Dylan out. And Dylan's out there like, what am I supposed to do? I can't just show up to jail and tell him to let him go. And then he said yeah. he basically just dumped him and moved on. Exactly. And I would have picked Joe, but he he had his, like, stupid, like, this is the up to here filming like you know the shot that they had so i can't even pick joe like personally i couldn't pick joe for the whole thing but like dylan like dang like you have joe to thank for your any kind of fame and now you just like dump him yeah and just like that we've got through the entire season in 23 minutes flat which is less than half of one episode (laughs) yeah because there's nothing to talk about in this entire season no, I will say though, like, what was your like most memorable moment here for you? What stuck out the most for you? My most memorable moment was basically like the last episode with Tim Starr. Cause I feel like if they just did the one episode with like, you know, some of the stuff from the episodes one through four, but like, you know, the rest of season, like episode five, I apologize. Um, that was basically the entire season. Yeah. They could have done episode five with the whole thing with crazy, like Tim Stark and everything and probably like 30 to 40 minutes of between episodes one and four. And that could have just been like Tiger King, like, you know, update or season two, just one episode. Like a 90 minute special, basically. Exactly. Yeah. That's all they needed. Yeah. Not four hours. So what we basically got. No. And it was a rough four hours, mind you. Yeah. I think for me, the most memorable thing is still the fact that Joe Exotic's lawyer is trying to get him pardoned on January 6th. I will never forget that. <laughs> Oh my God. That was probably like, I just got such bad secondhand embarrassment yeah. from that, that I was just like, I just choose to try to choose not to remember that. I mean, if the insurrectionists don't want you, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah. They have them screaming like, get out. We don't like you. We don't care about this. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. It's that like, that says something. It's like cat killers had no sympathy with us. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's just pretty nuts, but Sam, I want to thank you for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go. No, I appreciate it. Thank you. How can people follow on social media? I'll keep up with what you're up to. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at S-D-E-R-O-S-5 or on TikTok because I'm going to start promoting myself on there because I do some pretty funny stuff. But I'm at Salmon Sports. Um, but yeah, just Google Sam DeRosa. You're bound to find me. For sure. And now we've gotten past the bad part of the podcast where we got past all the terrible Tiger King stuff, which I mean, not us being uh-huh. bad, but the, the material was, we covered was awful. Yeah. Now we're going to go to the next part of here. We're going to go to Alan Austin and we're going to talk about King Richard. Have you seen this movie yet? No, I have not, but it's definitely on my top, top, top of my queue. Yeah. Highly recommend it one. We will dive into that movie right after this. What's going on? Everybody okay? They got a call. Said there was trouble in the house. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, you all need to look around. It's a little wet for practice, don't you think? Don't the girls have schoolwork to do? They do their homework. Tundi's first in her class. Lynn and Isha are too. Now I don't even mind you saying we hard on these kids. You know why? Because we are. That's our job, to keep them off these streets. You want to check on the kids? Let's check on the kids. We got future doctors and lawyers, plus a couple tennis stars in this house. The chances of achieving the kind of success that you're talking about is just very, very unlikely. Okay, you're making a mistake, but I'm gonna let you make it. Watch me hit a few balls. All right. So tell me your names again. I'm Venus. I'm Serena. So what'd you think? I wrote me a 78-page plan for their whole career before they was even born. Yeah, baby, yeah! <laughs> These girls are 
girls so great, how come I've never heard of them? They're from Compton. It's okay. They're just not used to seeing good-looking peoples like us. She's nervous. Make a step up. Maybe she ought to take a few more steps up. Just get someplace safe. I think you might just have the next Michael Jordan. Oh, no, brother man. I got me the next, too. This next step you got to take. You're not going to just be representing you. You're going to be representing every little black girl on Earth. They're not going to let you doubt. How could you? This world ain't never had no respect for Richard Williams, but they're going to respect y'all. You walk out there with your head up. You are a champion, and the whole world know it. The most dangerous creature on this whole earth. It's a woman who know how to think. Yes, Daddy. Ain't nothing she can't do. You want to show them how dangerous you are? Venus and Serena gonna shake up this world. Venus Williams, who is your best friend? Hey, Daddy. Serena Williams, who is your best friend? Venus. Then you. Then you. After Venus. All right, we are back here on the Cyber Monday Pop Culture Special, talking about one of the big movies that came out, I think, the Friday before Thanksgiving, King Richard, the biopic, starring Will Smith playing Richard Williams, the father of Serena and Venus Williams. They had a big role in their upbringing, helping them become legends in the tennis world. Join me today to break down this movie. The great Alan Oss is here. Alan, how are you? I'm good, Mike. Thanks for having me. And I'm glad to have you on here. And I got to say, this movie has been a lot of fun to watch, going back into it. And this story came out of nowhere for me. I was not expecting to hear about this thing. I didn't even know it was in existence until about like three weeks before the movie came out. I, I originally heard about this film, I'd say beginning of the year, because I always follow Gold Derby Oscars. And it was something that had been like mentioned will smith mentioned it was going to be about venus and serena williams and their father and how he coached them so i've known about this for a little while was what i wasn't expecting was just how good this movie was even with the oscar buzz i kind of maybe thought it would get into cheese ball territory a little bit and it never did it was very authentic and while some people may say it was corny. I, I I would disagree with them completely. I think it took the money ball route in terms of not necessarily the ending you're expecting, but still a triumph nonetheless. Yeah, for sure. We'll get to that ending in a bit. But before we get, dive deeper into this movie, how familiar were you with the whole Richard Williams story and his role in raising Venus and Serena before this? I got to be honest, not that well informed i always knew of his existence i always knew that their father had a big you know was a big deal in terms of their careers and getting started but i never knew to what level i mean i had a little inkling that he was maybe a little much at times which is definitely portrayed in this film but other than that not much at all i kind of went in with a blank slate yeah i knew a bit more you because i was a bit more of a tennis guy than you are so i was aware of some things i was curious to see how they portrayed it and i have to say i really enjoyed this movie i came in knowing what they could do what they couldn't do i was pleased the direction they took it yeah it was really great i mean will smith's performance which i'm sure we'll touch on just all the acting from all the kid actors who are probably you know teenagers at this point but 
really solid. The script was fantastic. And there was never any, for a two and a half hour movie, I felt like every scene was warranted. Yeah, because I mean, you said this off the air. I'll point to there are a lot of times where a movie just wants to go long for the sake of going long. And you can watch it and say, hmm, we could basically cut this down, cut a scene out of here, cut three minutes out of here, and all of a sudden you have a 215. It's much better. And this one, everything felt like it belonged. It didn't feel like there was anything missing or anything that was extraneous. No, and, you know, it all built towards the end, and that's a testament to the acting, to the writing, to the direction, that nothing felt long in the tooth, and everything felt validated. And, you know, it's a really, you know, are we getting into spoiler territory here? This is full, this is full spoiler, so if you people have not seen the movie, you can go either go to theater or watch on HBO Max until December 19th. That's how long it's on there, so if you want to check it out, check it out, but from here on out, you are going into spoiler territory. Okay, so what what I wasn't expecting was just how much of a hero King Richard is in the film. And maybe that's the joke on me because, you know, uh, the, the character is still alive. You know, there, there's never been anything truly disgusting reported about him. And while he is the overbearing sports parent, it, I found it very interesting that it, it's almost like they, they paint him as being correct all the time like everything he set out to do was right and the only thing i would change is i feel like venus and serena's true talents aren't necessarily 100 percent because of him i feel like maybe the movie could have done a better job a little bit i know it's called king richard it's about him but i think you know a little bit more towards venus and serena being good because they are talented more so than because he made them talented so to speak I think the movie could have done a little bit better job at, at not making him there like they they're nothing without him. But it, it is interesting in, in terms of fatherhood and coaching and, and being a little overbearing. And they definitely don't paint him as flawless. Overall, I thought the film was just so, so good and so unique in a way that we don't see from sports movies too often. And that way being every twist you think is coming doesn't necessarily come in the way you'd expect. Like I was expecting him to really get chastised by somebody at some point. And while he does get told he's a little much, it never, it never veers into abuse, not in my opinion. So I thought that was a nice touch. And again, it's a true story. So I'm just very happy with the film and what, what it had to say for the most part. Yeah, for sure. Let's get into the big takeaway from this thing, which is going to be Will Smith's performance in this movie as Richard Williams. He's got an Oscar buzz from this performance. I loved his acting here. He shows tremendous range here, and he shows you like different dimensions to himself every time. He's funny. He's serious. He's emotional. Like you get the sense he really cares for Venus and like young Venus, young Serena, as well as the other daughters who are in the film. So I thought watching Will Smith work in this movie was like a true work of art. It was really great. And this is a level that Will Smith, you know, I don't think he's reached often. Um, you know, I think a lot of his more serious roles are in movies that don't necessarily back his performance. So I'm really glad to see that this movie is as good as his performance. And I think it will get a Best Picture nomination. I think it'll get a Best Actor nomination. I think that's the only actor nomination this film will get. Uh, but, the, you know, something could be said for the young actress who plays teenage Venus Williams. She was fantastic. Uh, John Bernthal is Rick Massey. Always good. 
but I think Smith is the star here. And right now on Gold Derby, he's neck and neck with Denzel for best actor. And it's going to be an awesome race. Two powerhouse A-listers going toe to toe. Uh, it's going to be great. And yeah, I think maybe there might be a screenwriting Oscar nomination as well. Yeah, I think for me, I think the what was the best part of his performance to you civically? Like, wh- like what really they captured you the most of him? I think it was the subtleties of Richard, all the like mannerisms and the consistency throughout. The voice was a tough voice. That's a tough accent. A Louisiana Bayou, but relocated to California mix kind of, you know, worldly accent. That's tough. And in the first couple lines, I kind of went, oh gosh, here we go with an accent. But he settles into it. It's not overbearing. I would say that his strongest is just the conviction in the character. I really feel like I was not watching Will Smith and that I was watching Richard Williams. And that's truly the, a testament to Smith's, you know, what he did to dive into this character. So I would say he made a real person come to life in an extraordinary way, yet kept it grounded. Just really, really great work. All right, let's get in some of the interesting moments of this film. I think for me, one I want to start with is the sequence beginning where he's training Venus and Serena on the courts out in Compton, and uh, their older sister Tunde is there, but she's being catcalled by a young man outside the courts, and this sort of becomes a recurring side plot for the first, like, say, like 30 minutes of the movie where uh, Richard is trying to get the young man to not bother his daughter, and he ends up seeing the point where he grabs a gun and it's going to go kill the guy because he just wants him to stop harassing his daughter. Is really getting out of the car doing and sees the guy get killed by a gangbanger and and sort of gets shocked back in the sense. I thought that was a very interesting sequence for him. It was. That might be a case of poetic license. Yeah. That might be, you know, who knows if that really happened on that night. Uh, no one will ever know except for Richard Williams, right? Yeah. Theoretically. But I thought it was an interesting scene. Um, if anything, it just it reiterated why it was so important for him to get his daughters out of that neighborhood, out of that situation. So, you know, it was good. It was uh, it was a nice scene to show that Richard was maybe at the brink of losing it all. But he, you know, fate intervened and he was able to keep his cool and the rest is history. Yeah. What uh, what moments stuck out to you? What, like, what were some of your favorite moments of this film that you want to talk about? Well, there were a couple times I had to pause it because I was cringing at Richard's stubbornness. Yeah. So there was the scenes with the Paul Cohen, I think was yeah. the character's name, and some of the Rick Massey stuff. Although I knew enough that Rick Massey was not going to like, they weren't going to do two disgruntled coaches leave the Williams storylines in one movie. So I knew he'd be sticking around. But just some of Richard's decisions, while they may have been questionable at the time, Yes, they panned out, but watching them in real time, some of those scenes were so like almost like horror movie-esque where I'm like hiding behind my fingers because it was so cringeworthy. Just really, really subtle, like very great acting. So those are the scenes that probably stand out. But the tennis stuff is filmed really well. You really get a sense of a tennis match. You don't need to know anything about tennis to appreciate tennis here. And I think that was a big key component a lot of just watching the girls grow the camaraderie between the family and just just those are the moments that really stepped up the the williams family moments and just richard being stubborn those are the stuff that really stepped stepped you know uh stood out for me as well as the tennis scenes especially the one in the final act 
Yeah, I want I like I want to touch on what you said about the moments where you sort of cringe like when he pulls Venus out of juniors because like he says, I want her to be a kid, and then you see like the coach is like, What are you doing? It's not just a little path. And the moments they make you cringe, I think it's the crazy of the film where they're getting you invested in the story and you're like, Oh, I don't want this to happen. I want him to not do something stupid for that's gonna ruin Venus's chances here. I stuff <laughs> think stuff like that ends up like showing that they really have a handle on this movie. Yeah, and I, another scene that I really enjoyed was, and this is a scene that, you know, we talked about nothing in this film being unwarranted. This scene itself came out of nowhere, but I liked it. And that was the scene where child services gets called and Richard immediately just stands up for his family. I'm still not sure why the neighbor called the cops. I know she was annoyed. She doesn't like Richard for whatever reason. Maybe there's something you know that I don't to fill in that blank for me. Uh, but not necessarily knowing where that scene came from, I thought it was still done really well, and I really enjoyed how Richard reacted in that scene. Yeah, I was about to bring that scene up, actually. It was on my list of stuff I wanted to talk about. It was that scene where we see get a force out early in the movie when the neighbor is saying, like, hey, like you're too hard on those girls, and you want the, and he's saying, oh. should call the cops on you or something. Something like that. They, they foreshadow it. Then we find out she does call them, and then the cops come, and then he basically gives his impact speech on how he has – future leaders, future scholars, two tennis stars in the room. He has them spell out civilization. So he shows that the kids know what they're talking about and how he wants to get them off the streets. Like that whole scene I thought was like one that you could basically throw on the Will Smith Oscar reel. It was, it was a uh, mic drop moment for Richard. Yeah, definitely a mic drop moment for him. I did love seeing that. Yeah, it was one again, you know, it was a scene that was maybe thrown in there for the sake of some things that may have happened throughout their time. Maybe people like you, like like they said, were, were he was too hard on them, people butting in. But I, I enjoyed the acting and I enjoyed the writing of that scene in particular, definitely. Yeah. I also thought it was interesting watching them make this movie, realizing that obviously tennis as a whole is a predominantly white sport, and then seeing how they sort of navigated being black people going into the world of tennis and I thought it was great how Richard kept the spotlight sort of like honestly, like when he saw the looks he were getting at and they were like, what's going on? Why are they looking at us? Like we haven't seen, they haven't seen people look good looking people like us come through. I thought that was a fun way for him to sort of convey that and diffuse any tension his daughters could have had with the moment. Yeah, it was good. It was definitely, the film does a great job at, you know, doing the fish out of water tale, but on a human level for sure. Yeah, I would agree. I think I agree with that. I also think you mentioned before, you said you think Will Smith's in play for the Oscar here and that this could be a Best Picture nominee. You think Will has a better chance to win than this film does for Best Oscar? I would say so. There's a lot of films in the Best Picture buzz that are getting a little bit more press and publicity than King Richard. But I think the nomination in itself will be the big win. But I do think Smith is, you know, it's going to be, we got to see how Macbeth is, you know, because yeah. I do think it's going to be him, Denzel, and and maybe Benedict Cumberbatch in that three spot based on everything I'm hearing. So really, really interested to see, you know, where we go from here. But I haven't seen a performance better this year than Will Smith in King Richard for Best Actor so far. Have you seen Denzel yet? Have you seen that one yet? Have I seen what? The Denzel performance yet. No. Yeah, so this is so this is the this is the bar for you right now. So you're not got this, made, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yes, this is the bar. Got to wait and see about Macbeth. Yeah, it makes some sense. Also, I want to touch on the ending of this film as well, where we see that Venus finally goes pro, and then we have this sequence play out where she goes to the Bank of the West tournament, and 
the Nike sponsor comes in and it's like, hey, okay, here's $3 million. And this is one of those moments where you see like Rick Mace is like, this is great. She's never she's like getting $3 million off for juniors is fantastic. You see the family's like sort of like, eh, about it. And Venus says no to the deal. And you see, that's one of those moments you're sitting like cringing, like, oh, what are you doing? And then Richard Williams is best, like, hey, let it lie. Don't take the first offer you get. And then we see that she plays, wins her first match, goes on to play number world number one in Roxas Sanchez Vicario, which this is true to life that she did go up a set in a break and then lost in her match. And then she ended up getting a big deal after the fact because she's proven right. I thought that whole sequence at the end of the film was a great way to end it. It was, and I really enjoyed that they were doing something where they showed that Richards, and this is another reason why I like, I was saying that maybe the film could have done a better job having Venus and Serena, you know, succeed on their own merits. And I thought that was a scene that did portray that. Richard, uh, you know, he, he, he like gave the decision to Venus. He said, you, you don't have to pitch me. You have to pitch my daughter. I thought that was a nice touch. I thought it showed that he learned a lesson in the movie and that Venus got to call her own shot. I thought that was great. So that it's, that's, an, I didn't mention it before, but that's another one of my favorite scenes. And it was it, just every choice Richard made from that point on in the film was spot on. Yeah. And obviously she loses the match to Sanchez Vicario because she pulls the old, uh, they leave Stefano Sissi Foss's did made five this year's U.S. Open where he took the prolonged bathroom break to unnerve the opponent and it worked on 14 year old Venus. She ends up losing the match and then she's crying in the locker room at the end because she thinks she let her dad down. Richard has a, gives her a great speech like, You can never let me down. I'm very proud of you. And then we come out, we see all the black kids waiting outside to see Venus leave the locker room. That was a great moment to end the film on. Yeah. And she ultimately signs with Reebok. For twelve million bucks, twelve million dollars, yeah. yeah, and and you know I, I want to say like we I'm reading a updated Variety poll and King Richard's actually in second place right now behind Belfast for their what they think is going to win Best Picture. So who knows, you know maybe a late surge could put King Richard over the top. And this was a really good film. Uh, I I I think it could be Best Picture worthy. Again, I haven't seen all the films, but it's definitely a plus a quality. Quality yeah. film. Yeah, I think I would be shocked if he doesn't get the nom. I would be surprised if he wins because I don't. It will get the nom. It will get the nom. It yeah. will get the nom. It's like the Academy tends not to go to the sports movie well for their Oscar for their Oscar choice. I mean, the last one's probably what Million Dollar Baby in 04. Yeah, but I think this kind of like what's the what's the word I'm looking for? Where it just it rises above just being yeah. known as it, one thing. It transcends the medium. It transcends the sports movie for yeah. sure into a family drama, into a drama about being a father and young, you know, young kids succeeding and being talented and navigating the world. I, I it is a sports movie, but I, I think that I would recommend this to people who don't even like sports because I don't think it's really necessarily just a sports movie. Yeah, that's my point, too, because some people might say, oh, tennis, like it's not about Venus, it's about their dad. Like I'm not a step out. I would say like. This is not a tennis movie. This is a movie about like a father trying to raise his daughters and he has a dream for them and he takes unconventional methods to reach that dream. I think that journey is worth going on. A hundred percent. Yeah. I'm looking at other Oscar. So there's no one in the best supporting actor, uh, best supporting actress. I'm looking to see if Variety here in this article has any of the actresses from this film in their contention my internet is super slow so i can't pull the article up but i wouldn't be surprised if young venus really does i'm, I'm gonna look up the actress's name now to give her her due respect 
Yeah, I mean, I'm looking it up I for you. Apologize for the as, delay. No problem. Yeah. I'm looking it up now as well, just to give ourselves like some more ground here. And it is Sania Sydney is young Venus Williams. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Sania Sydney was phenomenal. I'm actually seeing now um, the actress Anjanu Ellis. I, yeah. I apologize yeah. if I. I'm pronouncing that wrong. She is currently sitting in third, according to Variety. She played the mother, uh, Brandy Williams. Uh, she's currently sitting in third. Yeah. So look for her to get a nomination as well. Yeah, she had a great job in there in terms of her role for as Oracine Price, who is the mother of them. They divorced in 2002, her and Richard. And they basically yeah. hinted at the film where they have to fight in the Florida home where she says, I'm here for the girl, not here for you. And I thought it was fun also seeing like the moments she got a good spotlight too when Richard has to take Venus to get trained by uh Paul Cohen that she's training Serena and she's seeing Serena in different ways to do it seeing her bond with Serena was also nice yeah that was phenomenal and you know I I apologize for not giving her her due earlier in this in this recording but yeah she was fantastic um so look for her to get a nomination as well just and I'm I agree with what you said at no point are you ever thinking that this family, while they love each other, is perfect. And that's another, that's a good way to hint at they eventually get a divorce without, ha there's a couple things in this film they could have easily went to that they didn't. The fact that he's had three wives is one of them. They they, they do reference his other family, his, uh, his son from his first marriage. And they, they do not touch on Tundi's murder, which I thought they may have, but they kept the story focused and, you know, they, they gave Tundi her due. She's a, she's a vital part to the family. You know, she's, she's the oldest one. She's the one who the other girls look up to and rely on. She's the one who's put in charge a lot of the times and they could have touched on her brutal murder, but they didn't, they kept the film about Richard and Venus mostly and, and Serena and uh, or a scene as well, but there's a lot to this family that's that's left out of this film. Uh, a, a, an ESPN documentary may do do wonders now that King Richard's story is in the public eye. Maybe the call for an expanded look at this family will be produced. Yeah, the question for me always has been with them, and they do have a fascinating story to tell. It's like when do Venus and Serena want to tell the story themselves? Because like it's because you've seen all these actors now want a stake in their stories, whether it's. Michael Jordan, The Last Dance, Tom Brady, This Man, The Arena Project, some of the key 86 Mets, like, they're going to want, like, control over like, when this story gets told and who tells it. So I think we'll be waiting a little bit before we get more on this story. Yeah, well, there's still more to be told because I don't think either woman is retired. Not technically. yet. No, and I know they dropped out of Wimbledon in 2021, correct? Yeah, v Serena's had injury for a while. She's trying to come over. Venus has not been the same player for years, but she is still competing on the tour at 41, which is incredibly impressive. Incredibly impressive and a testament to just her true athletic ability. Yeah, and Serena, I suspect we will get a big Serena story one day that will like be more on her than Venus, but I do think that's coming. I don't know if we have a movie. I think it might be more of a documentary piece. And I can't wait to see it if that comes. Yeah, absolutely. And once again, you said A-plus on your movie scale here? Yeah, it's an A plus. I, you know, I, I, why be too hard on it when it was a quality film that entertained me, taught me something, and really just left a mark with me. So why be too, why be too cruel? I'll give it an A plus. Yeah, I will, I will give it the A plus too because for me, this is top three movies I've seen this year. Yeah, it's it's probably 
I, I, you know, I have to look back at my list, but I, I'd say this is the best film I've seen so far this year. Yeah, because for me, it's like it's it's like dueling with Dune for like up at the top of my list. Yeah, this I I you know Dune is a, a special movie. I think this is maybe a little bit more grasp like you can grasp it a little bit more as the yeah. average moviegoer, and I just really really enjoyed it. And it might be a little bit of recency bias. Yeah, it's more grounded. Definitely. Yeah, Alan. Thanks for all the time. There's really, no uh, worms, desert worms, and you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot, it's a lot simpler to follow. It definitely helps. Alan, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how can people follow social media and keep up with your podcasts? Absolutely. So you can follow me on Twitter at Alan underscore Austin underscore and Instagram at Alan Austin Sports. Yeah. What about your podcast? Anyone, anyone you want to check those out? Uh, the podcast, you can listen to the episodes of Chart Choppers uh, anywhere you get your podcast and American Scene where my co-host Ben Rosen and I look at films with American in the title and what they have to say about American culture, values, and identity. That can also be found anywhere you get your podcasts. Alan, thanks for all the time. really appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. All right, and that will do for this week's show. I want to thank my guests, Dan Martini, for coming on to break down the two-hour Hawkeye premiere on Disney+. Plus. I want to thank Sandra Rosen for diving into the train wreck that it was Tiger King 2. Broke all that down. That was a fun. Also, I also want to thank Alan Oz, who you just heard from a minute ago, breaking down the premiere on HBO Max of King Richard, the biopic about Richard Williams starring Will Smith. Fantastic movie. Recommend the first to the third one. You can skip the Tiger King. You can just listen to us. You don't need to do the whole thing. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including my look back at Giants Bucks from Monday Night in Week 12, that podcast came out after I got to do that game. So, Check out my take on justinsuffering.wordpress.com. Go subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just and the Suffering, your favorite podcast platform. You can find all episodes there. Feel free with your feedback and star rings as well. They'll make the podcast even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. You can also check out the YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Video versions of all these conversations are available on the YouTube channel. And that will do it for the first podcast of the week. Final players, we're going to dive into the CBA situation, MLB. We're going to do some NFL picks and more. Until then, have a good week, everybody. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.